You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Gracious God, we ask that you would work through these weak hands, speak through these feeble lips. May Jesus be lifted high. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, you know what? Patience is not my strong suit. I have to admit it. Of all my weaknesses, and there are many of them, impatience may very well top the list. Many of you who know me well will know that few things in life frustrate me more than slowness. Slow service. Lord have mercy. Slow walkers. Just drive. Slow drivers. Why bother? See, if you're someone who's naturally on the slower side, let me publicly confess my sin and ask for your forgiveness because if I haven't already, I will lose my patience. Just imagine then if Abraham was as impatient as me. In Genesis 12, God promises him a new home, a new life, and a new love. He promises that through Abraham's family, he'll restore this world to everything he created it to be. And all of it will start with God giving a child to Abraham's barren wife, Sarah. But you see, over the last nine chapters, Abraham has been waiting not just for nine chapters, he's been waiting for 25 years. Now, some of you have told me, I know this. Adam, Genesis 12 to 25, it feels quite drawn out, doesn't it? It feels like a bit of a drag as as Abraham slowly walks this journey of faith. And yet, I wonder, I wonder if that's exactly what Genesis wants us to feel. Because if you're as impatient as I am, Well, with every chapter that slowly passes, we just want God to act, don't we? With each slow step that Abraham takes, it builds our anticipation for God to finally act on his promise. And guess what? Now, finally, in Genesis 21, God comes good. He keeps his promise to Abraham. Finally, at long last, a child is born. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. You see, the question that has recurred over the last nine chapters has been this. How will we trust the promises that God has made? But today, God has kept His promise. That The question now changes for us. The question is now, how will we respond to the promises that God has kept? How will we respond to the promises that God has kept And as Christians, we know that God has kept every one of His promises in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, the Apostle Paul writes that every one of God's promises, just think about that, not some of them, not most of them, but every one of them is yes in Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Because of Jesus, you and I, we can now do three things. We can laugh with joy. We don't have to be afraid. And now we can bless the world. There are three points today and there are three ways in which we're called to respond to the promises that God has kept in Jesus. Laugh with joy. Don't be afraid. 
and bless the world. Point number one, laugh with joy. I can't begin for any number of reasons to imagine the joy of having a child. Now, one of my best friends, Mikey Tai, up in Brisbane, he's very soon going to become a father for the very first time. Now, some of you here will have known Mikey. He preached our very first weekend away. And he's a tough guy, right? He's got an earring. He's got tattoos, an attitude that's way cooler than mine, let's face it. Um, don't all defend me. Um, but as tough as he might be, you should have seen him at the moment they revealed the gender of his child. When Mikey discovered that he was going to have a baby girl, he laughed with joy. Have you ever seen someone laugh with joy before? It's this strange mix, right, of excitement and disbelief that something this amazing could possibly be happening. Are you serious? I'm going to be a dad? I'm going to have a baby girl? This is crazy. In one sense, Mikey has every reason to laugh with joy. And so do we. Because God always keeps His promise to His people. God always keeps His promise to His people. Just imagine then the joy that must have filled Abraham and Sarah when finally, at long last, Isaac was born. I mean, Genesis 21, Wilkins read it so well, it captures the sheer impossibility of God's promise. Just look, verses 2 and 7, it emphasizes that Sarah has born a son to Abraham in his old age. But verse 5 highlights that Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And yet, this promise is as certain as it seems impossible. Just notice verses 1 and 2. The Lord came to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. You, you see, it's as if the author of Genesis wants us to realize that God's promises made are now God's promises kept. I don't know how else we can hear this, right? God always keeps His promises. No ifs, no buts, no conditions, no exceptions. And now Sarah, she responds in the best way she can and she actually models for us the best response that you and I can have, the best response that we should have to God's promises kept in Jesus. What does she do? In verse 6, Sarah laughs with joy. Just think of it, it's ironic, isn't it? Here's a few ironies. Number one, the name of her son Isaac literally means he laughs. Just imagine having, well, some of you are called Isaac. He laughs. And up until this point, the, the whole promise of Sarah giving birth to a child at over 90 years old, it's, well, laughable. Genesis 17, 17, Abraham laughed in disbelief. Genesis 18, 12, Sarah laughed in disbelief. But now, in Genesis 21... The woman who laughed in disbelief now laughs with joy. Because the promise that seemed so impossible to keep, no, God made possible. And He kept. And now in verse 7, Sarah, she invites everyone who hears this news, she invites you and me today to join her in laughing with joy. 
Just listen to what Isaiah 54 verse 1 says. It perfectly captures that joy. Rejoice, childless one who did not give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of the married woman. Chris, can you hear the pure joy in that song of praise? God's promises are both so impossible and yet so certain that if we understand them rightly, there's only two ways in which we'll respond to them. We will either laugh in disbelief or we will laugh with joy. If you really get the promises of God, if you really get how outlandish they are and yet how certain they are, you will either laugh in disbelief or you will laugh with joy. That, laughing with joy, is the only real response that we can have to God's promises in the gospel. When we think about everything that God has done for us in Jesus, here's the question. Do we laugh with joy? Now, over this series, I suspect the number one question that people have asked me is this. Adam, I get it. Genesis shows us God's promises to Abraham. But what about his promises to me? What about his promises to us? How am I supposed to laugh with joy if I don't even know what those promises are? So, let me list for you just some of those gospel promises that God has kept in Jesus. God promises to love us with a divine and perfect love that exists within God himself. God promises to forgive anything and everything you've ever said, ever thought, ever felt, or ever done. God promises that no matter how dirty, filthy, or ashamed you are, He will wash it all away. God promises to adopt us as His sons and daughters and give us His approval, His honor, and His love. God promises to give us true and lasting rest to everyone who is weary and burdened. God promises that nothing and no one will ever separate us from His love. God promises to always be with us and never leave us or abandon us. God promises to free us from the fear of death and give us eternal life with Him. God promises to give us the church as our eternal spiritual family. God promises to give us a new identity, a new life and a fresh slate, a start, a slate wiped totally clean. And God promises that though we might be wasting away on the outside, friends, He is perfecting and renewing us each and every day. That is what God promises. They're the promises that God has made. And every single one of them and far more are the promises He has kept in Jesus. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might hear all of that. And you know what? If you really get it, you'll laugh in disbelief. Please, you've got to be kidding me. Every, everything totally forgiven? Eternal life? Freedom from death? What a joke. That's impossible. But friends, these aren't empty promises with no evidence. No, they are certain promises based on the life, death and resurrection of a man named Jesus. A real man who lived in first century Palestine, who was crucified by the Roman Empire, who physically rose from the dead. You see, these promises are founded on the historical reality of Jesus. 
They are not far-fetched. They are not fanciful. They are true beyond any doubt at all. And that means, friends, if they are true, and they are, that laughter and disbelief, can I tell you, you'll still be laughing, but it becomes laughter with joy. Wow! God really makes possible the impossible. Because of Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. All my shame is covered. All my fears are allayed. The world might come to me and try and accuse me of my wrongdoing, remind me of my past, and I can say, none of it matters anymore. Because God has kept His promise. The world might tell me I can't escape my past. Jesus tells me He gives me a new life in Him. When was the last time you laughed with joy at the promises that God has kept in Jesus? Do your non-Christian friends look at you and say, there is someone who has an uncontainable joy in God. Again, I'm not talking about this naff, superficial, always smiling demeanor. No, can they see a gratitude, a thankfulness, a praise, and a hope that you have received the greatest promise this world could ever offer. No, this world couldn't offer it. The only promises that only our God could ever offer. I wonder though, whether too many of us long-time believers, old-time believers, do not laugh with joy. Instead, we shrug with indifference. We just don't care anymore. And the truth is that many of us would much prefer it if God promised us marriage and children, house and wealth, happiness and security. So we smile and say, well, I guess salvation is good enough. And I just think, are you kidding me? Really? The gospel blessings of Jesus fall on such a hard heart. How sad is that, that we would grow numb to the joy-filled promises of God in Jesus. No, recapture that joy. Recapture that wonder. Look at those promises. Have your breath taken away. And laugh with joy. Number two. Number two, don't be afraid. In verses 1 to 7, God always keeps His promise to His people. Now in verses 8 to 21, God always keeps His promise to the forgotten, the excluded, the outcast, and the vulnerable. You know, many people can feel so far away from God that they think to themselves, I couldn't possibly come to Him. Others may have grown up in church, walked away, and they think, well, I couldn't possibly come back to Him. Or you might look at your own life and think to yourself, I'm the last person in the world that a big God would ever visit, let alone ever love. Or you might come to church, look around and see everyone here on the inside and you can't help but feel on the outside. Friends, in these verses we see God's heart for everyone at the fringes. And if you're honest, that might just include you and me. In verse 8, Isaac is born. He grows into a young boy. But, but his half-brother Ishmael, born of Hagar the Egyptian, he mocks him. In the Hebrew, Ishmael literally Isaacs him. 
Now, that's not just a wordplay on Isaac's name, which means he laughs. No, no, Ishmael is challenging Isaac for his position as the child of covenant. He is literally assuming the position of Isaac as the son through whom God will create his people of promise. So, Sarah sees what Ishmael is doing to her boy. And she is angry. She expels him and Hagar out of malice, cruelty and spite. Abraham, though, loves this boy. But in verse 12, for some reason, God says, let him go. Because God will care for him. God will be the one who will look after the forgotten. The promise he made to Hagar in chapter 16 is the promise he will now keep. Chapter 16, verse 10, I will greatly multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. Now, chapter 21, verse 13, I will also make a nation of the slave's son because he is your offspring. Chris, can you see what God is saying? He is telling Abraham to let him go. Let her go. I will care for the ones that you cannot care for. God keeps his promise, not just to his own people. He keeps his promise to the forgotten, the abused, the marginalized, and the vulnerable. And what does he promise them? He promises them the most precious gift of all. He promises them life. You see, because of Sarah's cruelty in kicking them out, Hagar and Ishmael, they almost die in the wilderness. In verse 15, they run out of water. They run dry from the source of life. They are dying of thirst. But look at what God now does. In verse 17, he hears the boy crying and he leads them to a well full of water He gives them living water. Friends, can you feel the pathos, the heart of verse 20? God was with the boy and he grew. Just think about that for a moment. The boy who loses his father on earth gains a father in heaven. There's a reason. There's a reason why Psalm 68 describes God as the father of the fatherless and the champion of widows. He is a father to Ishmael and a champion of Hagar. He doesn't just save this boy. No, he stays with him. He raises him. He adopts him as his own. It's beautiful, isn't it? That the son who no one accepts is the son who God adopts. God doesn't just care for his own people, for the rest of the world to just, as they say, go fly kite or go burn, right? Like, he doesn't just ignore the rest of his world. No, he is the God of the whole world, the God of the nations, the God of the least. God's heart is that this whole world might come to know and love him And he will keep his promise to remember the forgotten and adopt the orphan. Friends, fast forward with me all the way to the life of Jesus. In John 4, Jesus himself comes to the ultimate outsider. A Samaritan woman. Someone who is unclean. 
abused and rejected by all. And what does he give her? Just like to Hagar, he gives her living water. Water that will become a well of water springing up in her for eternal life. The promise that God kept to Hagar is the promise that he now extends to this Samaritan woman. Living water that will never run dry. How then? How then should we respond to God's promises kept in Jesus? Don't just laugh with joy. No, friends, don't be afraid. You see that right there back in Genesis 21:17, right? What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid. For God has heard the boy crying from the place where he is. Friends, you might feel like Hagar. Gosh, you might be like Hagar. Despised, rejected, abandoned by all. The waters of your life have simply run dry and you just feel like you can't go on living. And maybe like Hagar, you've given up. You've found a place, you're lying down, and you're waiting to die. You know, it's estimated that over 65,000 Australians make a suicide attempt each and every year. And young people, more than any other group, are more likely to take their life than actually to die in a road accident. And there will be times for many of us, though we may not tell others, that we just want to give up. Don't give up. Come, talk to me, ask someone for help. But more than that, do what Hagar does. Cry out to God. Cry to Him for help. Because He has made a promise to you. He has kept a promise to you that if you cry out to Him, He will answer you. He will give you the living water that will never run dry. You know, the life that you so desperately desire, God will give to you in Jesus. And you will never need to be afraid again. Others of you might feel a bit like Ishmael. Orphaned and fatherless without anyone to care for you. It may be that your father walked away. It may be that he was taken away. But God will be the father you do not have but deeply desire. Just like he was with Ishmael, he will be with you. In Jesus, He will adopt you as His own son, as His own. So that like Ishmael, you are no longer a slave, but a son, a daughter, and a child of God. You see, you might think, Adam, I just can't laugh with joy. My life is just far too bitter to laugh with joy. If that's you, cry out to God and do not be afraid. Thirdly and finally, Bless the nations. Bless the nations. You know, it's ironic, but it is actually quite possible for many of us to become awfully self-centered with God's gospel promises. We, we think that God has made His promises to me and me alone. Jesus loves me, this I know, and not you. Maybe if we're generous, He might love me and all my friends. So I think that as long as I'm saved, 
or as long as God has adopted me as his child, then I don't care about others receiving those same gospel blessings. I don't care about sharing or extending these promises with anyone else. I'm indifferent about the salvation of our city, our nation or our world. As far as I'm concerned, as long as I have the gospel, this world can go to hell. Now we'd never say it. Or at least we'd never say it aloud. But I suspect when you look at our lives, that's how many of us live. The truth is, though, that God has blessed us so that through us, He might bless the nations. So that through us, He might restore this world to everything He created it to be. You see, God's promises are for God's gospel plans. His global gospel plans. Did you remember why He blessed Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12? So that all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, God always keeps His promise to His people. God always keeps His promise to the forgotten and God always keeps His promise to the world. Uh, Let's quickly look at what happens in the rest of this chapter. In verse 22, we meet Abimelech yet again, my favourite mate, the pagan king that Abraham deceived back in chapter 20. See, this Gentile foreigner, he recognises that true blessing is found in the people of God. God is with you in everything you do. So Abimelech does what God would have him do. He wants to share in that blessing. He wants to share in the promises of Yahweh. So he asks Abraham, don't deceive me like you did last time. No, this time, extend your loyalty to me. Extend your kindness to me. You see, that word loyal in verse 23, it's the very same word as grace. It's the grace that God extended to Lot in saving him out of Sodom. So can can you hear what Abimelech is asking of Abraham? That the grace that God extended to Lot, that the grace that I extended to you, extend that grace to me. Allow me to share in the blessings of your God. Allow me to share in the promises of your God. And so... That's what Abraham does. For once, thank God, he does the right thing. Abraham blesses Abimelech in the same way, notice, that God has blessed him. He enters into a covenant of blessing. He he seals a relationship by promise. In verse 27, Abraham, he gives flocks and herds to Abimelech. And out of that stock, he separates seven ewe lambs. You see, this is a sign of God's blessing that he's extending to Abimelech. And in return, Abraham will confirm his claim over, notice, of all objects, a well. A well, a source of water. You see, it's it's around this well of water, in a place called Beersheba, that the people of God extend the blessings of God to the nations of God. Beersheba means the well of the oath. It's the place where the covenant is sealed by an oath, sealed by a promise. Now I wonder, does the place named Beersheba sound at all familiar? Have we come across this place at all in this chapter? That's right. Back in verse 14, where did Hagar and Ishmael wander? They wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. 
Just think about that, that the very place where God kept his oath to Hagar is the very same place where Abraham extends that very same oath to the whole world. The, the, the well and the water which were life to Ishmael, well, that same well and water are the life to Abraham and through him life to the world. God entered into a covenant of grace so that just like Hagar and Ishmael, Abraham might live. And now in the words of Jesus, a well of water springs up in Abraham so that the nations might find life in him. God enters into a relationship of blessing with us so that we might extend that blessing to the world. You know, so often I hear the question, Adam, if I'm a Christian, do I have to share the gospel with others? But the idea of having to share the gospel misconstrues it all. Because it's not about what I have to do, no, it's about who I've been saved to be. We've been saved to be a blessing to the nations, to extend to others that which we have received. That The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. What has, Paul, what has Paul received? He's received the gospel. What does Paul pass on? He passes on the gospel. You see, for us, the place of the covenant is not Beersheba, it's Golgotha. The place of God's promises is not the well of the oath, but the cross of Christ. This is the ground on which God has kept His promise. This is the ground on, where, on which He has guaranteed His blessing. This is the ground on which He has sealed His covenant. The blood of Christ is the water that brings life to the world. How? How should we respond to the promises God has kept at the cross of Christ? Laugh with joy. Don't be afraid and bless the world. You know, friends, God always keeps His promises. And we've seen that He's fulfilled them in Jesus. We saw a long list of them just before, didn't we? But I know as Christians, sometimes I keep, we keep asking each other, look back to the cross, look back to the cross, and we just think to ourselves, well, I want to look here, I want to look forward. That's past comfort, but give me future hope. You keep telling me, Adam, to look back. But is there anything that I can look forward to? Well, the gospel promises are not just what Jesus has achieved, but what Jesus will one day bring. So if you thought that that long list of gospel promises in the past was amazing, now let me give you gospel promises in the future that are as sure, that are as certain, that are as secure as the resurrection of Jesus. What has God promised to do for us in the world to come? Friends, God promises to renew our world and free it from fire, flood and every kind of disaster. God promises to bring about a world of perfect justice where sin and wickedness will be no more. God promises to bring us into an eternal city where we will dwell with Him and all His people forever. God promises to wipe away our every tear and death, grief, crying and pain will be no more. 
God promises that one day we will have perfect physical bodies free of sickness and disability. And on that last day, God promises that we will see Him face to face and we will hear the words from our Father in heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, those gospel promises, those future promises are sure. They are certain. And so today we can laugh with joy at the world to come. We don't have to be afraid of this world and all its trials and all its difficulties. And we can bless the nations knowing that one day God will bring His every blessing and this whole world will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. I look forward to that day. I look back to the promises of God and stake my life on them. I look forward to the promises of God and long for them with all my heart. Let's pray. God of every promise, You love us. You have not forgotten us. And You care for us. Teach us to hold to Your every promise. Teach us to stand on Your every promise. And when we struggle, when we cannot see the world to come, when the pain and, and trials of this life cloud our vision and we cannot see your clear and sure promises, may we come before the throne of God above, may we fall before the cross of Christ, and may we cling to those promises as our sure and steady anchor. These things we ask and pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.